Alrighty. Good stuff. Got some accent things everywhere. That's cool. Alright, well, have you ever met someone and you thought they were like one thing, right, but they were actually the complete opposite? Have you ever had that happen to you? I had this once. I remember I was playing soccer and there was this guy on my team. I didn't really know him. He was this quiet, nerdy-looking, ranger kid. No offence to the rangers, but he was a ranger kid, right? And, and I never heard him speak. I trained with him for probably a year and I never heard him say literally one word. And then one day, we're playing soccer, we're playing a game, and the ball goes out and he runs after it. And then he just picks up the ball, chucks it at a dude on the other team. I'm like, this is weird. And then he walked up and punched him in the face. And we, we didn't know what to do. We just kind of stood there. We're like, is he actually doing this thing? He went and punched him in the face, knocked the guy out, fully knocked him out, and then he went to his car and drove away, and we never saw him again at training. We thought we had this guy who was just this cool, quiet, nerdy kid, and he was an absolute psycho. It was really weird, right? We thought he was one thing, and he was just the complete opposite. The complete opposite. And it's kind of funny with this one, because like, there's, there's nothing wrong with it, right? He just did his thing, punched some dude, and we never saw him again, so it didn't really mean anything for us. But, but what if we got someone important wrong? What if, we, if there was someone important, and we thought they were like this one thing... And they were just the complete opposite. What if we think Jesus was like one thing, but he's actually the complete opposite? What if we get Jesus wrong? Is there something wrong in that? Because I think plenty of people think some wacky things about Jesus. In fact, we're going to watch a little video now of some people's weird thinking about Jesus. Check your eyes to the screen. Mm. Also, want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake your back. Dude, old baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always bothering mm. with it. Mm. Dear Tiny and for Jesus. Hey, uh, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. Grace 
I just want to say the Powerade is delicious mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Thank you. Amen. Dig in. That was a hell of a grace, man. You fell out like a split hog. Appreciate that. I don't know why it's so good. <laughs> there you go. Eight pounds, six ounce, newborn baby Jesus. Don't know a word yet. That was their thought of Jesus, right? Now I don't think we think of Jesus as that all the time. But, but what do we think about Jesus? And is the way that we're thinking of him wrong? Do we get Jesus wrong? And the problem with it is this, and it's a big one. Getting Jesus wrong is the worst mistake you can ever make in your life. Getting Jesus wrong is the biggest mistake you will ever make in your life. So it matters what we think of it and what we think of him. So we're going to see that in Matthew 3 today. But before we, before we get into it, I'm going to pray and ask God that he would help us see Jesus clearly. Pray with me. God, we want to thank you for showing us Jesus in your word. So we thank you for the Bible that we can read it tonight. And we pray that as we look into Matthew tonight that you would help us to see Jesus and help us to see him clearly. Amen? Amen. All right, so we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to see two big things. And the first of them is this. Jesus is more terrifying than you could ever imagine. Jesus is more terrifying than you could ever imagine. But to see that, we have to go through another dude, right? A dude called John, and we're introduced to him in in verse 1. Check it out with me. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. So we see him there, right? We're going to find out he's a pretty funky dude, a pretty weird-looking dude. Look in verse 4. John's clothes are made out of camel hair, so general pants. There's a bit of an idea for you. And his, and his diet, we see that. It's locusts and it's wild honey. And so gluten-free, paleo diets invented by John. There you go. It's looking good. We've got hipster John. Hipster John, we'll call him. So we've got John. He's in the middle of nowhere. And what's he doing? He's preaching. Looking weird, but preaching. He's bringing people a message, a message from God to people. And we see that, right? And people actually want to know what he's saying. Check out verse 5. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. People actually want to know what his message is. And they're traveling to go see it. They want to go see it. Now think about the last thing you bought online, right? ASOS, eBay, SurfStitch, HelloKitty.com. I don't know what it is, right? You're buying something online, and a couple days later, you're ready for it to arrive. And you see the postman. Postman Pat, he's on his way, and you are just pumped. You're like, here we go. But what are you pumped for? Are you pumped to see Postman Pat? Or are you pumped for the thing he's bringing? You're pumped for your Birkenstocks that you just paid $200 for, for sandals, right? And so you're excited for the thing he's bringing. And so if John's a messenger bringing a message, what is his message? Because that's what we want to find out. It's in verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven has come near. John is announcing that the kingdom of heaven has arrived on earth. It's come. It's here. And, and he doesn't mean kingdom in the sense of a physical thing, right? He's not saying, hey guys, letting you know there's this castle just dropped in the desert. Buckingham Palace just arrived, 
sitting there. They probably wouldn't need John to tell them that if that was the case. They'd be like, thank you, John, we can see it, it's there. He's not talking about a physical thing, but he's talking about a king. The king has come. The king of heaven has come and brought his rule to earth. And you can see that a bit in verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, John calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the, for the Lord, for the king. John's preparing the way for the king. And we've kind of seen that in the past couple of weeks in Matthew, right? In chapter 1, in chapter 2, and we see it in the end of this chapter as well that the coming king is Jesus. Jesus is the promised king that the whole Bible points towards, and he's finally here. And he rocks up at the end of chapter 3. Jesus is the promised king. But what's the king like? What's Jesus like and what's he come to do? What makes him so terrifying? And that's the question we're going to look at, right? Because we, I think this is the part we get wrong. Because we, we assume and we think that he doesn't care about what we do. We think we'll be fine when he's here. What's, what's, the, what's the problem? He's come, we're fine, I'm fine with him, we'd be mates. And like the video, sometimes we can just think less of Jesus. Think of him as little baby Jesus, as angel wings vocalist Jesus, whatever it is. But we get him wrong. But I want to show us what the coming of Jesus means and why it's terrifying. So we're going to look at a book called Malachi. If you're in Matthew, you can flick back. It's just the book right before Matthew. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And Malachi is a a prophet. Just like John the Baptist came and was telling people news from God, Malachi was telling people news from God. And he's telling them about the day that God will come to earth. He's telling them about that day. It's going to come up on the screen as well. We're going to jump around a little bit. So chapter 3, verse 1, God's speaking and says... I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come. But we've seen that language before, right? That's meant to make us think of something. We just saw it in Matthew chapter 3. John is preparing the way for the king. This is talking about this same day, right? But what's the day like? That's still the question. Well, the next verse. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who's going to be able to stand when he comes? Chapter 4, verse 1. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 5 calls it the great and, and dreadful day of the Lord. The great and dreadful day of the Lord. Are you getting the picture? The day that Jesus comes is a mark of him judging the world, of judging evil, of ending wickedness, of ending sin. Sin being people's rejection of him, the pretending he doesn't exist, the knowing he exists but living without him. It's living our own way, right? And God has said he's set a time where he won't put up with it any longer. He's put up with it and he's not going to anymore. There's going to come a time where he judges sin for good and he puts an end to it. And when we see Jesus rocking up on the scene, 
We know that's what's coming. And the problem for us there is this. Sin isn't out there. It's in us. We are sin. We are sinful. And so when Jesus comes to bring an end to sin, that's bad news for us. That's bad news for us. Let me, let me tell you something to try and help us kind of get that picture a little bit. Have you ever had your parents leave for the weekend? All right, they go away for the weekend, the house is all yours, or they go away for a week, or even longer, Shevin's parents go away for however long. You've got the house to yourself, right? House all to yourself. And you start by just doing little things that maybe you weren't allowed to do before, but now you can. Mum never let me put my feet up on the couch. My feet are going up on the couch. Mum's not going to know. That's fine. Maybe the next step you're like, mm, the, the couch was never close enough to the TV for my liking. So you just move the couch a bit closer to the TV. A bit easier to game. Maybe, you know, your, your mum always makes you put a coaster down. I hate putting coasters down, so there's no coaster down on my drink. This is great. But then it starts to kind of escalate a little bit. You know, your mates come over and tackle footy in the hallway. Seems like a pretty good thing to do. And you're tackling each other into walls. And the weird photo section of everyone's hallway that somehow exists, that gets broken. And your model shots from year four are all broken on the floor. You're chucking your spaghetti on the wall. You're taking a leak on the couch. It's just mayhem. All right, there's mayhem and it's escalated and you don't even know how it happened, right? But you're free and no one can stop you enjoying the fun and, and the freedom that you've got. But what's the problem in there? Your parents are coming back and they're not going to be okay with it when they come back. There's spaghetti on the wall and urine on the couch. There's going to come a time when they come back and you're going to be called into account for what you've done. There'll be consequences. See, God has put up with sin. He's put up with the way that we've lived. But he's set the time where he's going to judge it, where we're going to be called to account for the way we've lived. And that day came when Jesus came. We see that. Jesus will judge the world. And Jesus will judge me and he's going to judge you. And that's what's so terrifying. We don't really like judgment though, do we? Seems a bit mean, seems a bit harsh, and we feel that and we get that. But can you imagine for a second a, a world where God didn't judge evil? Think with me for a second, because we don't like judgment. Think with me. Can you imagine a world or, or a God who wouldn't, wouldn't punish Hitler? Hitler killing millions of people. God says that's fine. Can you imagine that? Just this past week, someone walks into a school in America and shoots people, kills people. That's fine. But it's not, is it? It's not fine. And we don't want it to be fine. And that's why judgment is a good thing. It's fair and it's loving for evil to be called into account. And that's what God promises to do. Our God is just and he is fair and he is good. And we praise him because of it. It's a good thing that God judges. And I know that, that some of you have had terrible things happen to you. Terrible things at the hands of other people. And it's not okay. 
But whether or not there's justice in this life, those people will be called into account for what they've done. And there will be justice. God will judge them. And that's a good thing. Now, God keeps his promises. And he promised that he's going to put an end to wickedness, to evil. And he's going to do it. And we see him taking the step of doing it. But the thing is, judgment is for everyone. Whether you like it or not, we've all offended God. We've all sinned. We've cast him off. We've, we've rejected him and we live the way we want instead of how he would have us. We may not be Hitler, but, but we've sinned. You have, I have. So if Jesus has come to bring an end to that, what can we do? That's the question we should be asking. What can we do? What, what do I have to do? And the message is in verse 2 again. Check it out again. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. What do we have to do? Jesus come to bring an end to wickedness, and so we need to repent. But I get that we kind of don't use repent in a normal day. Did anyone use the word repent today that wasn't in G-teams or something? No, no one uses it. It's a weird word. So let's kind of scope out what we mean when we say repent. Repent is... Is if you can think of it simply, repenting is doing a U-turn, right? So you're in a car, you're going one way, you're driving east. That's a direction. It took me a while to come up with a direction just then. <laughs> you're driving east, right? Is this east? I don't know. You're driving east. To repent is to stop going east, to turn and go west. Good one, west. So you're going one way and you stop and you turn and you go another way. That's repenting. Right, And so we need to do that with our lives. We've been living without regard to God. We've been travelling one way. Repenting is stopping, turning, and following God. It's a complete change of direction. It's a U-turn. And you can kind of see in verse 6, that's what these guys are doing. They're coming and they're confessing their sin and they're being baptised and they're showing that the way they're living isn't okay and they want to come back under God. That's what they're doing. They're repenting. But it's important to kind of know what repenting isn't, right? Because we've got a lot of weird thoughts about it. Firstly, repenting isn't getting caught. Just because you got caught in something doesn't mean you've repented. It doesn't mean that you're going to stop and turn from it. It just means you got caught. And, and repentance isn't, it's not feeling, just feeling sorry for something, right? You can be going one way and feel kind of bad about it, but keep going down there. Repenting is turning around. It's, it's being sorry, but it's stopping and turning in the other direction. So it's a little bit like this, right? I used to, I used to love the WWE. I'm not going to lie to you right now. I used to love it. So I'd have mates over and, and we'd watch the WWE. We'd like get the pay-per-views and then we'd just like chuck each other off the couch and then we'd go on the trampoline. We'd have our wrestling matches. I mean, I, I bought the masks to wear and I had the tights and we had our theme music and my mates actually knew, knew I liked wrestling. And so on my bucks, if you can wipe this slide up, they kind of made me do this and we wrestled on the beach and it was kind of weird. But... That was me not too long ago, right? But, but what would repenting of wrestling look like? 
And I'm not saying that wrestling is evil or bad or anything like that, but as an example, what would it look like to repent of wrestling? Well, it's not just me feeling sorry that I liked it, or it's not like someone walked in and caught me watching wrestling and that's repenting. Repenting is, of wrestling would be, I've gone this way and I'm watching it and I'm, and I'm doing it and I've got all the gear and I stop and I turn and I stop watching and I, and I stop wrestling and I throw out my mask and my way too tight tights, I chuck it because it's not me. I was going that way, I've stopped and I'm going this way. That would kind of be what it's like to repent of that. But we need to do that with everything. We need to do that with our whole lives. Because we've offended God by not paying attention to him. He's made us and he's loved us and we don't care. We pay no heed to it. We don't live with him as our king and our ruler. And so we need to turn and we need to live with him as that. And everyone needs to. You can see in verse 7, these these high-profile Jewish Jews rock up, right? They're God's people. It's the Jewish people. And these are like the Jews of the Jews. These are the pretty hectic guys, right? Does John tell them, you're fine with God? You're fine, don't worry about it. No. They need to repent. Whether you are a nice person, whether you have... Christian parents, whether you go to a Christian school, that stuff doesn't matter. You need to repent. You need to turn back to God. But I think there are a couple types of repentance. And it does get tricky. But I want to show there's two types of repentance I want to pick up on now. You tracking? Following along? Here's the first one. The first one is salvation repentance. And this is, the, this is the repentance that every single person on our planet at any point needs to do. Everyone needs to do this. This isn't something that you do over and over and over. This is a one-time, one once-off thing where you decide, I'm going to stop living for myself and I'm going to come back under God and live with him as my king. Salvation, repentance. Because God made you and he loves you. And deep down, you know it. Whether you're new to these things or not, you know that there's something more. So say sorry to him and come back under him. Because the beautiful thing is that when when we do repent, when we turn back and we trust in Jesus, he promises to forgive us of everything. Of everything, nothing too big that he will not forgive. He doesn't count our sins against us anymore, and we won't, when he judges, we won't be judged as sinful because he's forgiven us. When he died on the cross, Jesus paid the price for your sin. It was dealt with, but by Jesus. So repenting is coming to Jesus. And trusting that he's done that for you. Jesus died once for sins to bring you to God. Back to him. Turn to him and trust him. Tonight you can leave. You can leave you being right with God. That's incredible. 
That's amazing. Do that tonight if you haven't. Come back to God. That's the first type of repentance, salvation repentance. But there is a, there's a second kind of type of repentance, and it's the one where things can kind of get a bit tricky, right? So bear with me. You see in verse 8 it says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And so there's this sense in which there's this repentance that's more than a one-off thing. So we've got our one-off forgiveness in Jesus' repentance. We turn to him. That's all the time. We got that once off. But once you've done that, there's another type of repentance. Because you see, when, when Jesus saves us, we don't automatically stop doing all the things that he doesn't like, do we? It's not like you come to Jesus and, and you trust him and all of a sudden it's impossible for you to lie. I'm trying to lie and I can't, right? I'm trying to hate someone and I can't. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen at all. But we do need to be letting go of those things. We need to, be stop, we need to stop doing those things. Because being saved by Jesus should mean that we change. We should be different. So Christians... Do you still hate on people? Do you gossip behind people's backs? Do you lie? Do you bully? Do you steal? Do you look at pornography? Do you get drunk? And it's more simple to repent of some of those things than others. See, back in my day, it's a long time ago now, I know. If we wanted music... We bought the CD, all right? Or eventually it came in, you could buy it online and download it or whatever. Or, you know, if, if, we, if we wanted a movie, you drive to the video shop and hopefully it's there and you get it and you watch your movie and you're all good. We didn't have Spotify, all right? Didn't have Apple Music or Netflix or Stan. Seeing people's faces like, what do you mean? You didn't have those things. That's all I do, <laughs> all right? And so what happened when you wanted one of those things, right? But you didn't want to pay for it? Download it illegally, at risk of destroying your computer from the weird sites you'd get it from, but you could do it. So I used to do that, right? I didn't want to go and I love music and I didn't want to go pay for all the music that I wanted, so I just downloaded it when I want to. And I did that until realising that breaking the law was sinning against God, right? And so what does repentance look like there? Well, it looked like me stopping doing that thing but more than that, it looked like deleting all the content that I downloaded and never doing it again. That was what repenting looked like for that. And, and it was a big deal to me at the time, right? It was a big deal. All my music, all my movies, gone. It was hard, but, but once I decided to do it, it was done and it was gone. Repentance, right? But some things aren't so simple, right? Some things aren't as easy as doing that. What does repentance look like when you go too far with your boyfriend or girlfriend? What does repentance look like there? Because it's not as simple. It's not as simple. Because you, you may stuff up, right? You may go too far. You might, you might fall in that. And you might genuinely repent. Yet a month later, you stuff up again. So what's the deal there? I mean, did I really repent there? Didn't I really repent there? I mean, I want to now, but what does it look like there? I want to put it into three categories to kind of help you think through it, right? You need to repent with your head, 
in your heart, in your hands. Head, heart, hands. So you need to repent with your head. What I mean by that is this. You need to change the way that you think about it, right? And so you need to change your thinking from, I think this is a fine thing to do. I think it's okay, so I'll do it. That needs to change from that into, I know that this is not what God wants from me. It's a change in your thought. That's head. Making sense? Heart. You need to change the way that you feel about it as well. These are not one or the other. You need to do these things all together. You need to change the way you feel. You need to go from feeling okay about it to genuinely being sorry about it. And it's not... It's like what we said before. It's, it's not just feeling guilty that I've been caught, right? It's not just that. Why do you feel guilty? It's not because you're worried that your parents might find out or that someone else might find out. You feel guilty because you know that you've offended God. So your head, your heart... We're going to camp in this one for a little bit. It's our hands. It's, it's the things we actually do. A way of thinking, a way of feeling, and the things that we actually do. Are you actually trying to stop doing the thing? If you are, you're going to set up boundaries, right? That prevent you from doing it again and again. So you make the mistake of you, you sleep over in the same room together and things go too far. What does repentance look like? You need a plan of action, right? So repentance isn't planning to do the same thing a month later. You haven't changed. Repentance would mean, you know, we will never sleep in the same room together like that because I don't want to fall again in it. Repentance means taking positive action and making plans that take you away from sin and not towards it. It's a U-turn. Away from it. And now I need to say that just because you, you've done those things, it does not mean that you are not saved by Jesus. Jesus doesn't save us because of things we've done or for how good that we are. We are sinful. We all are, me included. And Jesus saves us by grace. It's a free gift not because of things we've done. But he does save us to do good. So if you aren't killing sin, if you aren't trying to stop, then that might be an indicator that you aren't trusting in Jesus, that you're not living with him as king. So if you are thinking of things like this as we've been talking there's things that you know you want to change. Chat to one of your leaders tonight. Chat to a mate. Work out a plan of action. Chances are that people have gone through the same things that you have. Make a plan of action. As long as we live here, as long as we're on earth, we're never going to be completely free of sin. It's always going to linger. But the beautiful thing is, and take this away, Jesus has died so that you can be forgiven of it. The King of heaven has come, turn to him, and he promises 
to forgive you if you ask him to. And soon he's going to come back. And if you're trusting in him, you're going to be with him forever. And there won't be any sin. And it'll be perfect. What a day to look forward to. Let's pray together. God, we want to thank you that you are a just and fair and loving God who punishes evil. We want to thank you that you would send Jesus as the one to end evil. Lord, we're sorry. We don't live with you as our king. We offend you daily in the things we do and the things that we think and the way we treat people. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us to change. We ask that you would help us to come back to you. And we want to thank you because we know that if we trust in Jesus, you erase our sin. It's gone and it's gone forever. We praise you that you would do that, that you would forgive us in Jesus. So we pray for those tonight who aren't yet trusting in Jesus. We pray tonight that they would.